orchestra playing and we can sort of warm up to, oh, it's almost time to worship. Not today. You're going to hear one measure, and I'm going to ask you to be fully engaged in singing to the Lord, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Would you stand with me?
God, we come before you now. May this be the cry of our heart, that you and you alone are life. Lord, we pursue so many things in this life. We get sidetracked by so many side issues when you and you alone are the main thing. Lord, help us to keep you forefront in our hearts and our minds this morning as we worship you in spirit and in truth, as we study your word, as we pray. Uh, Lord, everything that we do, may it just be pointed to the glory of Jesus Christ, and may your kingdom uh, prosper because of our worship today, Lord, here in this place. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It is becoming a regular occurrence for us to greet you from baptismal waters. And uh, I'm okay with that. Amen, aren't you? It's great to have our children in here to witness baptism. We talk about this often, uh, but Eden Spencer here trusted Jesus as her Lord and Savior, and God made her alive. Amen? Baptismal waters is the gospel made visible. It's a picture of judgment, judgment waters, to be buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. It's an act of obedience. And so Eden Spencer is here today to let you know that she knows Jesus as her Lord. She's confessed him as her Savior. And we as a church follow in obedience to the Great Commission to baptize those. Any other family in the auditorium that would like to stand and witness of Eden's baptism? Any others? Amen. Eden, upon your profession of Christ as Lord and Savior, confessing Him as Lord, it's my privilege to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. For we are buried with Christ through baptism, and we are raised to walk in newness of life. This is Corbin Link, and he too has trusted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to talk with kids about Christ, amen? And I'm just uh, majorly touched in my heart at the depth of understanding and theology that these little kids, we, we take that for granted, but you, you don't really understand what kids get from you when you're preaching and when you're teaching as parents, but they learn way more than you think they do, right? But the most important thing is when the Lord God opens their heart to the gospel. And uh, Corbin is here to let you know he's trusted Christ and he wants to follow in obedience through baptismal waters. Any other family? Uh, Corbins, y'all stand up? Yeah. We may hear some hollering, right? All right. Corbin, upon your confessing Jesus as your Lord in obedience to the Great Commission, it's my privilege to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. For we are buried with Christ through baptism. And we are raised to walk in newness of life. We have uh, one more. Benjamin Wolfert is going to be baptized. Uh, but our uh, another pastor, which is our youth pastor, which is his dad, is going to have the privilege of baptizing Benjamin. And I told Jeffrey to hold this rascal down until he stops bubbling, right? All right. <laughs> Good morning. Since Pastor asked everyone else if they had family to stand, I'll ask our family, if you're here today, if you'd stand um, with Benjamin today to be baptized. Benjamin, today, yes, thank you. 
Benjamin, just as a reminder, today through this baptism, you are proclaiming to this congregation and to the world that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, and you've been made alive in him, correct? Yes. All right. All right. All right. Benjamin Wolfert, upon your profession of faith, I baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death. Raised in the likeness of his resurrection, raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. Hey, before we uh, move on with worship today, let me uh, tell you about the connection card. Very, very important today about the connection card, all right? Um, so besides just filling that out, if you're a first or second time guest and we'd like to know more about you or if you have a prayer request, here's the, here's the thing we're asking today. Uh, if you are coming to the meal, we've not had a Wednesday night meal for a long time, so we need to get a count of who's coming. If you're coming to the Wednesday night meal, put your name on the front, circle A, I guess for appetite, I don't know, uh, A, and, and then put a number by that, okay? Uh, and, and so that way we know who's coming for the Wednesday night. We can, we can have a good count. Uh, by the way, $5 for adults, uh, $3.50 for children, and by the, by the uh, when Jeffrey asked his family, we got the whole section here to stand, and we got a third of the, of the children's ministry. And uh, so the family max is 15. So if you have a bunch of kids, you, you uh, max out at $15. That's a great deal. So please, uh, please put that in the offering plate at the end, and that way we'll have a count for, uh, for the, the Wednesday night meal. Hey, let's uh, continue on in, in worship with this great, great old hymn that is such a comfort to us. Uh, it is well with my soul.
understanding comfort that nobody else can even imagine. Amen? The great theologian St. Augustine said, you have, uh, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. We know this to be true. Amen? Let's sing this great hymn together. alone my hope is found he is my life my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace and fears are still and striving cease my comforter In Christ alone you took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless faith, his gift of life, his righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died. For every sin on him was laid Here in the death of Christ I live 
the ground his body lay, light of the dark night, darkness lay. be seated. Well, good morning. It's a blessing to greet you today. Well, we look back over the last year and a half and we've all been hit from varying degrees across the board. And then, of course, our hearts are heavy with what's going on in Afghanistan and we're going to have a word of prayer in just a few moments before David and I sing. But I want to, I've not said this to you, but there are a couple of verses of Scripture, and then I've added one in the last couple of weeks that have really spoken to my heart about the situation. And all of us have verses and Bible texts that encourage us through the days that we've been through. But the very first one that, that I've had written on my calendar every single day, and every time the month goes by, I, write, I rewrite it, is this one, Psalm 119.89, Forever, O God, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. We contemplate that. We think about that in light of what's going on in our world. The second one is found in Proverbs 28.1. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the godly are as bold as a lion. Boldness is what we need as the people of God, right? And here's the one that I've come to think about most recently, especially in regard to our church family, my calling as a pastor, and it's this one. Uh, Paul says these words to a very troubled church in Corinth. 
Uh, he had gone through a lot of difficulty there. He had had to expose a lot of major theological problems in that church. But here's what he says to them. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. That's the way I feel as your pastor. That's the way Paul felt when he addressed his congregation to spend and be spent for their souls. And that's how important the ministry is. So on Tuesday, after kind of a really busy weekend for me, on a Friday I had a wedding, a Saturday a funeral preached on Sunday, another funeral on Monday. Philip and I had breakfast on Tuesday morning. And he began to share, most of you know that his father-in-law went to be with the Lord, Elsie's dad, uh, through the COVID uh, experience. And then uh, we've had pastors in our association who have died. We've had pastors' wives who have died. And so we were just enjoying each other's company and, and talking about life and death and, and church. And I listened to Philip explain what he went through and how God used a sabbatical of six weeks in his life, uh, in particular in him studying the book of Ecclesiastes. And I said to him, you need to share this with our church family. And so thus we're here today. I'm not preaching, Brother Philip is. And I know that God is going to speak to your hearts. I was reminded when he was sharing with me or after I thought about our conversation, 1 Peter 1.7 says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, though it be tried by fire, may be found to result in praise and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We all know what it's like if you're a believer to be tested by fire. You're either going through a trial, been in one, or one is coming in the future. Why? So that you are tested, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold, though it be tried by fire, may be found to the praise and glory and honor at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Amen. So here's the verse before we sing. The Bible says, So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. Verse 19, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters in, in the place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone, as our forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Brother Philip's going to come as soon as we sing and preach. You know he is the director of missions. It's called Tri-County. Why? Because it includes Christian County. Right? I was, well, Stone with I was trying to get these people to, to answer, right? Stone County and Taney County, thus called Tri-County. And folks... You know how blessed we are to have Philip and Elsie and Andrew and uh, Andrea as members. Let's do it in right order, right? Andrea, you're the oldest. Andrew, right? Uh, we're blessed to have them in our church. And I'm telling you, folks, he is a pastor to pastors. And uh, we are so blessed to have him. Uh, just prior to COVID, he finished his doctorate, which is a, a yeoman's task. Uh, it's been pretty much difficult since you finished that, right, <laughs> ministerially, when we think about what, what our country's gone through. But he is really Dr. Philip Shuford, right? And so I welcome him to come and, and preach the word to you in just a few moments, okay?
I have journeyed through the long dark night and out on the open sea by faith alone sight unknown and yet his eyes were watching Though the ship is battered, the anchor holds. Though the sails are torn, I have fallen on my knees as I face the rain. Anchor holds in spite of the storm. I've had visions and I've had dreams, and I've even held. In my hands, but I never knew those dreams would slip right through like they were only grains of sand. Anchor holds, though the ship is battered, the anchor holds, though the sails are Well, I have been young, but I'm older now, and there has been beauty these eyes have seen. was in the night through the storms of my life oh that 
that's where God proved His great love to me. Appreciate the opportunity to be here, Pastor. Uh, it's nice to come home, with church family. It's been a while since I've been here. There's a lot going on. I couldn't find the preacher's office. <laughs> that may be a good thing for you, Pastor. You know, <laughs> it's a blessing to be here. Um, so, Pastor and I had uh, breakfast this this week, as he shared, and uh, I was sharing with him some. Some impressions that the Lord had laid on my heart um, when I was away on ministry renewal leave this summer. And um, he asked me to come and share those reflections with you. So what I'm going to do this morning is not preach an expository verse-by-verse treatment of a particular passage of the Scripture because that's just not what the Lord's given me. In preaching class in seminary, they used to... Uh, teach you that uh, every sermon is supposed to have three points in a poem. I do have three points in a poem. Uh, um, but uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be here, Pastor. I appreciate you and your, your leadership. Um, the scripture today comes from the book of Ecclesiastes. And so I'll ask if you would please turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to look at ver- chapter 1 and chapter 12. Um, and I'm going to read... Um, uh, I'm, I've got the New King James translation this morning. Uh, I want to read out of uh, Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes chapter 1, uh, beginning of verse 12, I'll read through verse 14, and then I want to move over to Ecclesiastes uh, 12 and start at verse 13 and read to the end of the, of the chapter. So if you have your copy of God's Word, uh, read along with me. By the way, the book of Ecclesiastes was written, we believe, by King Solomon, the, uh, known as the wisest man who ever lived. And uh, this is what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 1 and then Ecclesiastes 12. He says this, I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I set my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under the sun. This burdensome task 
God has given to the sons of men by which they may be exercised. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and grasping at the wind. Now flip over to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. And this is how Solomon concludes his book. He says this, Now let us hear the conclusion to the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. I want to go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and read to you uh, verses 12 through 14, uh, but in a different uh, translation. This is the um, this is the voice paraphrase, uh, and I like looking at different translations to help me. It helps me understand what how other people see a particular passage of scripture. Here's how the voice paraphrase translates uh, Ecclesiastes chapter one verses twelve through fourteen. It says this: I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I decided to seek out and study the wisdom of all the ages, of all that had been done under the heavens. I soon discovered the harsh realities of the work God has given us that keeps us so busy. I have witnessed all that is done under the sun, and indeed, all is fleeting, like trying to embrace the wind. Pastor was sharing uh, in, in our family, we have experienced the harsh realities of the COVID pandemic firsthand. And in my ministry, I have as well. A week ago, uh, this past week, a dear friend in ministry, uh, Brother David Church, uh, died from, from COVID. Uh, David um, was one of these he's an older gentlemen in his late 70s when he passed, fairly good health before he came down with COVID. I talked to him on Tuesday, uh, the week before he passed. I talked to him on a Tuesday, and he had sniffles. He's going out to eat with somebody. The next thing I knew, on Monday, he was with Jesus. He went that quick. David was one of those people that um, uh, he had served as pastor. He'd been a, had my position, director of missions, in a different place. So he, he, was, he was one of the people that I could go to and talk about the things that, that in my ministry that I deal with, and he understood. He, he got it. And, and it was the day that I got the phone call that he had passed, I cried. And I remember going to the celebration of life at First Baptist Church Sparta, where, where was his last uh, duty posting as, uh, as interim pastor. did a wonderful job there. And it was a nice service, wonderful service, celebration of life. But uh, the sense that I had, and I think was kind of hanging over the congregation, was, why are we here? How is it that we're here doing this? He shouldn't be gone. Certainly not so quickly. Why him of all people? And then in October of last year, uh, Elsie's dad passed with COVID um, in his early 80s, strong, very active. Um, but uh, they live in South Florida, and uh, he uh, came down with COVID. And um, we started praying for him. In fact, my mother-in-law got it as well. Uh, and we prayed for them, and then my father-in-law went to the hospital. In fact, the night before he went to the hospital, he led a Bible study in his home. Devout, godly, Christian man. Went to the hospital, and we prayed for him, and and the disease progressed and got into his lungs, and they put him on the ventilator, and, 
And we prayed intensely and fervently. And then uh, about 12.30 one morning, we got the phone call from the nurse that was attending him in ICU that he had expired. And we flew down for the funeral, and they asked me to, to do the funeral. And um, uh, South Florida, you know, it's Miami. It's about two feet above sea level. And um, the uh, day or two before the funeral, they dug the hole, but it, was, it flooded. It's full of water. So they were trying to pump water out of the hole for the casket so that we could do the funeral. And they couldn't fast enough. So we had to improvise the, the burial ceremony. It was all just different. And then earlier this year, um, in the summer, uh, the wife of a dear pastor friend of, of, of mine, he pastors First Baptist Church Lampy in, uh, down in Stone County, down by the, down by the lake. Uh, Brother Dennis Reynolds, his wife, uh, Dennis got it, COVID, and uh, his wife got it. And uh, uh, in July of this year, she passed from it, uh, Mary Reynolds. Mary, if you've been to Silver Dollar City's Taffy Shack, she's the Taffy lady. She worked there for 20-some years. And, uh, and the Lord took, took Mary home, and I was able to go to the funeral. And, but there's still there was a sense of, why are we having to do this? Um, we prayed intensely. These were godly people, and God took them. And when he did, in the back of my mind, and this is, this is very, I'm being very transparent, and this is very personal today. I, I begin to think, God, didn't you see us praying? Why didn't you do what we prayed you to do? Why them? Why take them, good, godly people, and leave so many here who never give you a second thought? That was the question that was stuck in my mind. And for some people, the obvious answer would be, well, God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants to do. And my answer to that is, of course he is. Of course he can do whatever he wants to do. But that doesn't answer the question I was asking, why? And somebody may say, well, who are you to question God? And the answer to that question is, well, I'm nobody. To question God. But as I look in Scripture, I see instances from Abraham to Moses to the prophets to the apostles that in a moment of crisis in their hard hour, they looked the Lord in the eye and they asked him, Lord, what are you doing? Maybe you've experienced something similar. For me, it was my COVID losses. And I must tell you that losing my dear loved ones brought me to a time of questioning. I still loved the Lord, still served Him. I was in the Word and I was praying, but I was also asking the question and not getting an answer. So Pastor mentioned um, that... uh, that this summer I had the privilege of going on what they call sabbatical. Back in February of this year, Tri-County Baptist Association's executive board, which is made up of pastors and lay people from all of our 56 churches in the association, they voted to approve for me what I like to call a ministry renewal leave. Uh, Most people will call that a sabbatical, although I don't like that term. 
uh, in a ministry context because sabbatical, you think about an academic context where you go off for a while and for a year and you study professional development, you, you, you read, you write, you write articles, journals, books, those kinds of things. In a ministry world, um, uh, we think of a time away of unplugging from the constant drip, drip, drip of ministry. And a time to take a step back and rest and recharge your spiritual batteries and hear a fresh word from the Lord without having to constantly put out fires. Uh, a ministry of renewal leave is not a vacation, but, but it's an intentional time away with, with goals and outcomes and accountability. Uh, but the main idea is to unplug from your ministry responsibilities for an extended time so that you can hear from the Lord in a new in fresh way. And in my case, y'all, I needed it. Uh, I was tired. And it's not that I wasn't working hard. Um, you know, it's like trying to chop wood with a dull axe. You can work up a sweat, but not, not get very far with what you're trying to do. Um, so anyway, Tri-County's leadership approved for me to take an extended re- ministry renewal leave for six weeks. And I, I cannot tell you the blessing that that time away was. For, this is not a commercial, but I'm just telling you, this is, how, this is what the Lord used to get me to where I needed to be. Um, it, it was a very loving act on the part of the association of leadership to do that for me because I was tired. I was worn down. I was forgetting things. I was forgetting people's names that I had just talked to. Uh, and you could say, well, you know, you're getting older. Well, that's true. My kids always remind me of that. But, uh, but it, was, it, was, it was different. Because, uh, see, in ministry, you can, you can be tired in the work but not tired of the work. And, and, I know that, and I know that I'm not alone. I can't tell you how many pastors I've talked to in our, in our family of churches uh, who have shared with me things that they have, what, what COVID, the pandemic, has done to the ministry and to their ministry in particular. All the adjustments and the uncertainty and the funerals and the losses and divisions within churches related to how how churches respond to the pandemic. You got people on either side, on all sides of the mask thing and the vax thing and all of that stuff. And, 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 and it seems that we all kind of gang up on the pastor for those different things. At least that's how it seems sometime. And those things have tor- like tear like a tornado through the pastoral hearts of these, these godly men. The work of ministry is 24-7 work. Incredible demands and expectations. And I'm not pastoring a church right now, but I have in the past and I get it. And the ministry the Lord has given me now, working with 56 churches and 56 pastors in three counties, has its own unique challenges. So anyway, again, Tri-County granted me six weeks to unplug and to refresh and to reconnect and renew. And it was an incredible blessing for me. I feel better. Y'all, I feel better than I have in years may not look better than I do, but I feel better than I have in years. It's really, it's like cobwebs have been cleared out uh, of, of my head. I got more energy. Elsie says I'm doing more stuff around the house now than I did before. She's happy. Uh, that's very important. But the most important thing the extended time away did for me was it gave me breathing space to let God speak. I needed him to. 
because I was asking questions of him, the one I was serving, and I wasn't getting any answers. I needed him to speak, and, and he did. I was asking the question, God, why, why did you take these people? Uh, I was serving him, but it was like I was serving with this heavy burden at the same time. It's a little strong to say that I was holding it against God that he took these dear friends, but it's also not too far from the truth. And that's a hard way to live. So at the outset of my ministry of New Leave, I told God this. I said, tell me anything you want to tell me. And I'll tell you, it took about three weeks of unplugging for my mind to kind of spin down to where he could, that still small voice could get through. And I want to tell you what, what he told me. This is what I'm sharing with the pastor, and this is what he wanted y'all to hear in a very um, homiletic way, I guess. But this is, this is how the Lord spoke to me, and this is, I'll tell you what he told me. Uh, so my son Andrew and I, Andrew's reading through the chronological Bible with the Sunday school class, uh, which is great exercise for a Sunday school class to do. And sometimes he'll ask me to read the Bible with him. I think he gets tired of reading, quite frankly. And so what will happen is I'll read it while he listens. And every once in a while I'll stop and make sure, have you zoned out yet? He said, no, I'm not zoned out. So, so this summer the reading schedule took us to the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, Ecclesiastes is not a book I've, honestly, I've spent a whole lot of time in. And most, I don't think most folks have. Um, and as I was reading it out loud to Andrew, uh, it struck me how depressing it all sounded. You know, the writer was saying things like, I was despairing of life. At one point he says, I hated my life. You know, those are the, not the kind of cute little catchphrases you see on Christian social media posts. You know, it's raw and it's gritty and it's very honest. See, in the book of Ecclesiastes, what, what Solomon does is King Solomon, the, known as the wisest man who ever lived, he walks you through his quest to understand the meaning of life and how he came to understand what this life, he calls it life under the sun, what that life, what life is, is all about. And, and, and it's, he starts out in chapter 1. Uh, he says this, the very first verse in chapter 1, he says, The words of the preacher, and that's known to be Solomon, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? He repeats that word vanity in different times all through the book. The and different translations translate that Hebrew word in different ways. The, the New King James, the English Standard, and the, and the King James uh, translate the word vanity, vanity of vanities. The, if you've got the New International Version or the New Living Translation, the word there is translated meaningless. Uh, the New American strand, Translation translates that word futility or futile. The Christian Standard Bible says, calls it absolute futility. The, uh, the Amplified Bible, which not many people read, but it's interesting to refer to, uh, talk about, you translate the word by, by saying vanity, which is futile, meaningless, a wisp of smoke, a vapor that vanishes, mere chasing the wind. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the, the voice translation calls it fleeting. The expanded Bible calls it useless. 
meaningless, absurd, enigmatic, transient, vanity, vapor, bubble. Can you hand me my water, please? You carried my water, brother. <coughs> you know what? Y'all are so blessed. Talking about being blessed. Um, you, what you got here is what's called a double-barreled preacher. You got a guy that can sing as good as he can preach. That was a blessing, brother. Thank you for, you all for singing that. So he starts out his quest from this point of view, saying that everything in life is vanity, meaningless, futile, transient. The word that the translators are struggling with there is a Hebrew word, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I, I did some study on this. The word there is H-E-B-E-L, hebel. And hebel in the, in the Hebrew language literally means mist, vapor, or breath, as in a short breath. Uh, Adam and Eve named their son Hebel. We call him Abel. But the word there is actually Hebel, which means a short breath. So Solomon, when he says vanity, when when the Bible says vanity, vanity, what he's literally saying there is mist, mist. Everything is just like vapor. In chapter 1, verse 14, he says, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and grasping for the wind. The, the translators take Solomon's idea of hebel, which is mist, vapor, or breath, and hear his frustration in life and translate the word hebel as vanity or mean, meaninglessness. And again, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I suspect that there's more to what Solomon is saying as he tries to understand this life under the sun. And he, and he tried different things as he was trying to figure out what life was all about. Uh, he was known as being very wise, and so Solomon tried to increase his wisdom. And, he, and, and the book, he walks you through. That's what, that, that's what Ecclesiastes is. He's walking you through his thought process in, in, from chapter 1 to, to chapter 12. So he starts out, and he, he, he starts searching for wisdom and knowledge. But that wasn't satisfying because he realized that the wise man and the foolish man all share the same fate. They're all going to end up in a pine box. Then he tried becoming successful and building things that would last, being, being good at his, at his career. But that wasn't satisfying either because he realized that after he was dead and gone, whoever came after him may tear it all down. Solomon was king, absolute monarch. He had everything in the kingdom at his disposal, so he tried pleasure. But he realized that all that pursuit of good times left him empty. It's grasping wind. He said it's all mist and vapor. Everything that most people think are important, the thing that people build their lives around, it's mist and vapor. None of it's going to last forever. So here in the book of Ecclesiastes, the wisest man in the world, intelligent Rich beyond our imagination. In fact, Solomon is the only person that could have written this book. Because if, it, if a poor man had written this book, someone would say, well, he just didn't have enough money. Or if, if, if an unsuccessful man had written the book, they'd say, well, he just didn't know how to get to where he's going to go. But Solomon was at the pinnacle of everything. And as he, from that pinnacle, he looked at life. Absolute master of everything in his domain. He's telling us that you can't hold on to life. That the nature of this thing we call life and everything in it is short and fleeting and try as you might, 
You can't hold on to it any more than you can grasp the wind or nail a wave to the beach. <coughs> he says that life is like, and the image that's in my mind is there's a river. You've seen rivers in the morning with steam rising off of them, mist. About 6 o'clock in the morning, you see the steam. By 9 o'clock in the morning, it's all gone. The river keeps flowing, but the mist is gone. He says that's exactly what life is life. This life under the sun. And as he walks you through his thought process, and and if it's the case that life is hebel, uh, fleeting, a mist, soon to pass away, Solomon concludes his whole journey, as we've read in chapter 12, saying this, the best thing we can do in life, get this, in chapter 12, he's not so much calling it vanity. He's saying the best thing you can do in life is to fear God and keep his commandments because he will call us to account for what we did with the fleeting life he's given us. So as I was thinking through all of this in in, in my unplugging time and asking God, why did you take these dear people? As if to underscore... This is how good God is. As if to underscore what he was trying to tell me in Ecclesiastes. So this summer I visited different churches. And I never get to go to the big churches in Springfield. Well, I'll go to some of these big churches in Springfield. So I went to Second Baptist and I went to Ridgecrest and I went to Crossway and I went to High Street. And, and, and one, of these, one of these messages that I heard when I was kind of bumping around outside of my area. I heard a, I heard a message. One of the pastors was preaching through James in the summer. And the Sunday that I was there, uh, he preached from James chapter 4. And James chapter 4, verses 14 and 15 says this. He says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Isn't that beautiful how that just fits with what I've been reading? God was doing that. I said, God, tell me whatever you want to tell me. And he's talking to me. And I'm able to hear it. And so I was considering this dose of reality... I was still asking the question, why did you take them? Then he led me to a passage in Isaiah chapter 57, verses 1 through 2. And I don't even know how I got there, but you know how the Lord, he'll work. And sometimes he'll direct your your eye to a particular passage of Scripture. And Isaiah 57, 1 through 2 says this, and it says this in the New Living Translation. It says this, good people pass away. The godly often die before their time. And I said, hallelujah. (laughs) He must be reading my mind. (laughs) Well, of course he's reading my mind. (laughs) Because I thought, that's exactly how I feel. He's taken these good people before their time. And Isaiah nailed it in Isaiah 57. And then he said this, good people pass away. The godly often die before their time. And, he, you know, I don't like it. It hurts. It seems unfair to me, but it happens. And he goes on to say this, and, and catch this. Here God directly answers my question, why did you take them? And he says this. No one seems to understand, me included, no one seems to understand that God is protecting them from the evil which is to come. For those who follow godly paths will rest in peace when they die. You know that phrase, rest in peace, comes from right here. 
In my questioning of God, I never considered that. No one seems to understand that God is protecting them from the evil to come. God is protecting them, the godly who die, from coming bad days. Now, I don't know the future, and you don't either, but I know one who does. God does. And I'd ask God, why did you take them? And he answered, I was protect. This was his answer. I was protecting them from pain in life they otherwise would have experienced. In other words, as hard it is for me to understand or accept that he took them, his taking them was actually a loving act on his part. Only he knows what's coming. And only he can protect them. And so he did. He took them. And it doesn't stop there. He says, those who follow godly paths, these people that I'm thinking about, will rest in peace when they die. Not if they die, but when they die. And when they do, they rest. Blessed rest. No more work. No more labor. No more toil. No more heartache. Rest in peace. Peace in rest. I asked God, why did you take them? And he said, look, All of life is short. And when I take my people home, I'm saving them from pain and giving them rest that only I can give. And while I was considering this, he led me to Philippians 1.21 where Paul declares this. He says, for me to live is Christ. You know how the verse ends? For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's such a beautiful thought. This life under the sun, as Solomon calls it, is not meaningless. It's short. It's a morning mist off of a river in the morning. But this life is not without meaning so long as you live it for Christ. You make Christ the center of your life. You live for him. And life has meaning. It has purpose. Jesus called it in John 10.10, life more abundantly. And when you make Christ the center of your fleeting life, when you die, it's gain. It's better than gain. Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians 2, he said this, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared, prepared for those who love him. In Revelation chapter 21, John describes it this way. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. 
And he also said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. He who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Solomon's end of the matter was fear God. Because he'll call you to account. Now let me share with you what my end of the matter of all this has been. And I'm st- he's still working on me. But here's where I am right now. I asked God the question, Lord, what are you doing? Out of the shock and the pain and the confusion of loss. The pain is real. And getting an answer to the question, an answer to the question why, doesn't take away the pain. And it doesn't take away the hole that's left behind when the mist of a beloved life dissolves. But in pain, there can be peace. And for me, I'm more at peace. In my faith in him who loves me and gave himself for me, I trust him with my loved ones, with their lives and with their deaths. And if he does something with my godly friends and loved ones that my heart may or may not agree with, I rest in him and the promises that he's saving them from pain and he's giving them peace and rest and rest in peace. And instead of taking something from them, he's giving them gain. And, in, and that I, in, the, in my midst of a life that, that cannot conceive how blessed my godly friends and loved ones are, as they look to their father in the eye, and he wipes away every tear from theirs. In the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, Solomon sums up his search for life's meaning by saying, the end of the matter is this. Live for God. So as I'm processing what the Lord has been teaching me, here's my two takeaways. I think sermons need to have takeaways, and here's my takeaways. My end of the matter. Two things. Number one, the nature of life here under the sun is uncertainty. And the more you try to hold on to it, the more it slips through your fingers. That's the nature of life after the fall. The second takeaway is this, the best way to live my life with all the uncertainty contained in my dash. The dash, you know, you go to what, you know what the dash is? When you go to the cemetery and you see those tombstones, it's got a name, it's got the year you were born, it's got the year you died, then there's a dash. And friends, all of us here are living in that dash. The best way to live my life with all the uncertainty that's contained within that dash is to live my life all out for God. And that's what I intend to do. While my midst of a life is still hanging around. 
You may or may not have heard of C.T. Studd. C.T. Studd was, a, it was an Anglican missionary that lived in the latter part of the 19th century, the early part of the 20th century. He was a professional cricketer, really good athlete. Uh, but um, his father was saved under the influence of Billy Sunday, and C.T. Studd was, was saved as well. And he felt a call to ministry specifically to missions, international missions. And he served for a while in, in China uh, with Hudson Taylor. Uh, and then he, he uh, served in, in Africa. Um, Tri-County Baptist Association, I think about local missions. C.T. Studd said this, the light that shines farthest shines brightest at home. I love that. Great quote. But C.T. Studd wrote a, wrote a poem called Only One Life that's kind of famous. A lot of people have heard it. Maybe you've not. I want, I want to, here's the poem. Got three points, now the poem. Uh, C.T. Studd wrote a poem called Only One Life. <clears throat> and, and not a lot of preachers in terms of poems. They used to be something they used to always do. But, but I found this poem and I really loved it. And it, it speaks to where the Lord has got me right now. And maybe where the Lord is moving you as well. Uh, the, the poem, Only One Life. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And it ends this way. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, "Twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So that's my end of the matter. You've heard Solomon's, you've heard mine. Now we're going to land the sermon plane. And I want to ask you this question. What is your end of the matter? Maybe you. In this hard hour, someone here in this auditorium, someone watching online, maybe you have looked or are looking the Lord in the eye and with respect asking him the question, Lord, what are you doing? Maybe you've experienced something similar or in a time of questioning. And the, 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 the question in your heart, and you may not have even verbalized it, but what's going around, in, bumping around in your brain and your heart is, God, I don't understand it. I don't understand you. But I trust you. Help me trust you more. Friend, maybe your desire is to live your life all out for God. Maybe today you ought to tell him that. Pastor, thank you for letting me be here today.
sharing these, um, these thoughts. Uh, let me say a word of prayer, and I'll invite the pastor to come and extend the invitation. Father, thank you so much for your presence with us. Thank you for your goodness with us. Thank you that even in times of questioning, you're there. You don't get mad at us when we ask you questions because we belong to you. Father, I pray for the one or the ones that may be here today who may be going through a struggle or they have gone through a struggle. They know someone who's going through a struggle. Father, allow us the grace to land where Solomon landed and to live our lives all out for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Brother Dave is going to lead us in the hymn of invitation. Let's stand to our feet. Come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord. And he will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. Only trust him, only trust him, only trust him now. He will save you, he will save you, he will save you now. I think the reason when Philip was sharing this with me, why it struck so hard in my life is because I had my life under the sun moment when I was 29 years old. Nat and I had been married for ever already then because I was 20 when we got married. She was 18. We had three babies. Uh, life was rocking on. I finally was pastoring within an hour and a half of my folks, which I'd never done throughout since seminary. And then, bang, my dad's diagnosed with cancer. I knew when I got the phone call it was terminal. I, I knew it in my spirit. And I can't tell you the difficulty and the weight and I remember saying, Lord, you said my yoke is easy, my burden is light, but this weight is killing me. Uh, I remember driving to Athens, Georgia on the day he died. <clears throat> and I was quoting Zephaniah. God, you've got to sing over me. Jesus, sing over me. I'm telling you, folks, I'm a, I'm a much better pastor than I was before his death. There's just no way around it how God fashioned me through all those difficulties. And it was those verses that Philip brought out that, oh, I poured over those things and thought about those verses. And it was a dark, frowning providence that God took me through, but all for His glory. And He took my dad on the glory. I hope you realize I've, I have not sung Anchor Holds, but with two other people in my life. That's the last song my dad and I sang on stage together. He could not even walk after the seizure from the tumor, but he could sing perfectly. It was unbelievable. Just a, a blessing from God. And one other lady in North Augusta, South Carolina, we sang it together. It took me a while. I probably needed a sabbatical, right? But I didn't take one. But God took me through it. And then to sing that song with David just poured back memories into my heart and life. Well, folks... I can't encourage you enough to live for God. That's all that matters when it's said and done. And I'm telling you, we have a faithful God. 
He is trustworthy. You can put your confidence and trust in Him. Some of you, you may have no idea what Philip had to say because you don't know Christ. That's where it starts. You got to start where all of us started. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only one unique Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish. Look, folks, I have to tell you, there's a danger. And the danger in that verse is without Christ, you will perish. There is a, there's a design of love. Amen? In this manner, God loved. There's a decision that must be made. And that decision, there's a duty there. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what an awesome destiny we have if we trust Christ. Amen? Not the consequences that we perish, but we have eternal life now and forever. Would you respond to the Lord? One more verse. For Jesus shed his precious blood, rich blessings to bestow. Plunge now into the crimson flood that washes white as snow. Only trust him, only trust him, only trust him now. He will save. Brother Philip, we appreciate you. Uh, timely sermon for the life of our church. Always pray that I'm open and listening. I, I have a tunnel vision often. Uh, as Philip was talking about, expositionally plowing through the Word. Why? Because I know the Word of God is the only thing that can change your life. Right? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word. But it's a blessing to have men like Philip come to our church and preach. I don't own that pulpit. I'm your pastor, and I sure will watch who gets in that pulpit, right? But the fact is, we need to hear from the men of God who preach the Word of God. And I'm so thankful uh, that we had breakfast and you were able to preach this morning. Uh, God bless you, church family. We ramp back up Wednesday nights, this Wednesday, okay? And so uh, look forward to that. Also, a matriarch in the life of our church and our community went to be with the Lord this weekend. That was Miss Thelma Adams. And so uh, some of you may not know that. That funeral is tomorrow morning uh, at 10 at the funeral home where she worked until she was 85. And Mr. Dean had to say, Mama, it's time to go home. And so she died at 97 years old. So pray for the family tomorrow, Dean, Jeff, Valerie. Uh, pray for them. All right. God bless you. And uh, we'll have a word of prayer. Let, let's pray for Afghanistan. I thought as I sat down, I forgot that. Let's pray. Dear God, um, Lord, you can move the hearts of kings. Make them flow like a river wherever you want them to go. God, uh, you can do this to the Taliban. God, spare your children. Lord, you have believers in Afghanistan. You have believers in every ethnos in the world. Lord, uh, we don't pray necessarily for comfort. We pray for your will and direction. God, uh, you placed them there uh, to sound the trumpet of the gospel. God, uh, but we pray that you would spare them. Lord, we pray for Afghans, Lord, that need to be delivered out of that country. We pray for Americans that need to be delivered, but most importantly, believers, Lord, you remind us to pray 
for them. And, and Lord God, we do that. And we ask for uh, direction, wisdom in our, for our leaders in our country. We are told in the scripture to pray for them. We may not like it. We certainly may not like who's in office. But we pray for that office. We pray for that position and ask that you, Lord God, would work in a, in a marvelous way. And Father, we know you're in control. We don't know exactly what you are doing at this point. But we fully know that you set our boundaries according to the book of Acts. You, uh, you plan uh, and you orchestrate to accomplish your purpose in this world. And we pray, Father, that in the meantime, as we live life under the sun, you would help us honor you, fear you, live for Jesus, make an impact in this world for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's sing this. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning, morning.